before we get into the message this morning, I have a couple of announcements I want to share with you. Um, next week, not this coming week, but the following week, the week of the 18th, the new carpet's getting installed in the auditorium here, and the guys who are going to do the refinishing of the pews are coming in to refinish the pews. And before that happens, we need to do a little painting in the facility, especially back in that back foyer area and some other places where the carpet's going so we don't paint after the carpet. So if you have painting skills and you would like to lend your hand to help, I would invite you to use the phone number on the bottom of your bulletin today and call Debbie and let her know that you're available to help with that. That would be really great. Um, One other thing I want to draw your attention to for your calendar is because of the construction that's going on and some of the things that we're going to be doing over the next several weeks, uh, including the installation of an elevator, um, there's going to be some dust and some dirt, and we're going to have a church work day on Saturday, August 23rd, in which you'll be able to come and lend your physical labor to help clean up the facility. Getting ready for the fall, um, our, we've tagged September 21st as our big celebration day, uh, kind of like we had a year ago at this time in September when we invited the community in. So if you can help us get ready for that, that would be one day you can set aside, and that's in your bulletin as well. So that'd be Saturday, August 23rd. Um, a couple prayer requests before we uh, start with a message. Bill and uh, Luann Bella let us know that Luann's mother died this past week. So if you can be in prayer for them. And Ben Dugan let us know that his dad, Carl, is in hospice care right now. And it doesn't have a lot of days. So if you could be in prayer for the Dugan family, that would be great. Um, as well, when, um, if you're new here by chance, this is your first Sunday here, you've never had an experience at New Hope before, um, we don't take a traditional offering in the service. There's offering boxes in the back. And part of that comes from Scripture in which it says, don't give under compulsion, but give as a cheerful giver. And sometimes when you pass offering plates, you can really feel under compulsion. And so we use offering boxes in the back, and as God moves your heart to participate in the work of the church, especially in helping us support some of the things we do, like supporting missionaries, um, you can participate in that way. With those things in mind, would you bow with me in prayer now? Father, first of all, we just want to exalt you and thank you for the privilege of being able to sit in a comfortable building and to be able to look into things that are a mystery to the angels, your word says, that we can examine the scriptures, that we can also be in a place where we've got great musical instruments and talented worship leaders, and we can sing along and worship you. We don't want to take any of this for granted, Father. Thank you that we live in a country where we can even have electricity and we can run fans and lights. We're just very grateful for the way that you supply So God, we exalt you first as our provider, and we also come to you as one who is our caretaker. We know that you're concerned with things like the loss of Luann Bala's mother, and that you're in the midst of what's going on in the Dugan family. And for others that we have listed in the bulletin, Father, like the continual healing we ask for of Micah Magnuson. God, these things that we lift before you, we do because we know that you're capable of intervening in any way that you desire. And so we ask that you would do that according to your will and your purpose. Father, now as we look into your word, we ask that you would be in the midst of that, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that your spirit would be at work here and that you would illuminate our minds. 
Father, we ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. When uh, I realized this was um, Communion Sunday, um, about two weeks ago, and I knew that I had to complete Genesis 24, which I told you last week if you were here I was going to do, I realized I had a bit of a conundrum because Genesis 24, the second half of that chapter, is very long as well as the first half of the chapter. So I thought, here's what we're going to do. We're going to finish Genesis 24 next week, and I'm going to teach on the roots of communion, where it comes from, and why we celebrate it, what we call the Lord's Supper. Or in some traditions, it's called the Eucharist in the Holy Church, in the Catholic Church. They call it the Holy Table or the Eucharist. Where does all that come from? And what does that represent? And so I thought, rather than just assuming that everybody is of the same mind and that we all have an understanding of it, I thought it would be really good to go back into Scripture and lay the foundation for where this comes from. What are the roots for the thing that you are about to do? Two commands that Jesus gave us. Be baptized and don't forget me by using this on a regular basis, the communion table, the Lord's table. Those two commands I hold in a very high view because they come directly from Jesus and we're not to neglect them. So I thought, let's take a look at those. It seems like to the world a very strange custom. As a matter of fact, to the Roman rulers in the early church world, they believed that the forerunners of you, those forerunner Christians, were cannibals. They believed that your forefathers in the faith when they said they drink the blood and they eat the flesh of Christ, that they were actually doing it because that's what Jesus said. Take, eat, this is my body. And so they used that for a form of establishing why they would persecute the early Christians. Nero used that as his mantra. These heathen pagans, they're cannibals. Let's kill them. So that's where some of that comes from. It's a custom, an early custom. So I started thinking about customs, especially as I was watching the opening ceremonies of the Olympics this week. We saw some of the customs this week be unveiled on television as they were informing us about the Chinese nation. Where does some of the customs come from? I started thinking about customs here in the United States. Why do we stand and sing the Star Spangled Banner? Sporting events, major public gatherings, we stand and sing a song together because it unifies us as one people. Why do we teach our children the Pledge of Allegiance? Why do we play taps at military funerals? You know that in 1862, during the height of the Civil War, Captain James Ellicombe was a Union soldier at Virginia at Harper's Creek Landing. And in the midst of the battle, as things died down, he heard a soldier moaning out in the middle of the field. And no one was going out to get him. And he didn't know if this soldier was a Confederate or a Union soldier. And he didn't want to take the risk of getting shot, so he waited until dusk when people couldn't see him. And he decided to risk his own life and crawl out into the middle of the field and retrieve that moaning soldier and drag him back across into their camp for medical treatment. Captain James had no relationship that he knew of to this individual. 
but he decided to risk his life on behalf of that moaning soldier because he needed medical treatment. By the time he dragged him on his belly all the way back into camp, it was dark, and the soldier had died while he was dragging him back in. The captain took a lantern out to light the body to see if there was any identifying papers on this young man. And to his shock, it was his son who had joined the Confederate Army. He had been down south studying music, and he didn't tell his dad that he had joined the Confederate Army. Now there he is on the ground with his son, and he starts going through the pockets of his son's uniform, and he finds a slip of paper with musical notes on it. The next morning, he asked his superiors, I'd like to have a full military burial for my son, even though he's from the enemy camp. And out of respect for Captain James, his superiors granted the privilege. However, they wouldn't give him full honors. They would not grant him a full band. He said, can I have just one instrument? And they said, you may have one instrument. Listen to the song that they played at his burial service. I'll make you sing it, Adam. (laughs) Okay, it was taps. Legend or reality? Every time you hear taps at a funeral for a military burial, you have to ask yourself, how much of that story is legend and how much of it is reality? It's been lost over a period of time because the story hasn't been retold often enough. A moving story of a relationship between a father and son, ultimate sacrifice paid. And that song instituted a memory for people of the military of someone who died in honor. Jesus gave us the communion table, the Lord's Supper, to be told over and over and over again so that we wouldn't forget. It's where legend meets reality. We don't want to lose an understanding of where it's at. So today it's called, in different churches by different forms, the Lord's Supper, the Holy Eucharist in the Catholic Church, the Lord's Table. In the tradition I was raised in, communion, it was called. And where does that all come from? Well, you've been studying Abraham with me. We've been studying for... 14 weeks now in the midst of the foundation series, understanding the foundation of the nation of Israel. And if you leap far enough forward in time from Abraham's life to his grandson, Joseph, Joseph went and lived in Egypt, became a great and mighty king, and there in the midst of Egypt, Israel went into bondage. And in the midst of their bondage, they lived 400 years in slavery. God allowed them to endure 400 years of slavery and then delivered them, just as he had promised in Genesis chapter 15. You learned that several weeks ago. 400 years later, they're delivered. And then they begin to celebrate what we know today as Passover. How did that take place? Passover day comes. God says, here's what you're going to do so that the angel of death will not kill the firstborn among you. You're going to take a lamb, an unblemished, spotless lamb, 
and you're going to kill it. And you're going to take the blood of that lamb and you're going to smear it across the top of the threshold of your door. Many people are familiar with this story, but they don't know that it's the seed of the communion table. The Passover lamb, the sacrifice to cover over the family so that the angel of death would pass on by. And in the midst of that, God said, you're going to do this every year. You're going to celebrate Passover. So much so that it's going to become part of the DNA of you as a nation. And you are not to vary from it one iota. So for thousands of years, this tradition has been carried out. And we find Jesus on the night before he's crucified, Passover night, celebrating the Passover dinner with his friends. That's the text I want to take you to this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, go to Matthew 26. If you don't have your Bible with you, there's Bibles in the pew rack in front of you. And as a matter of fact, if you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to take one of those with you. Those are there for you. Matthew chapter 26, it's also going to be up on the screen. And what we're going to do is I'm going to read through the first 10 verses, very familiar verses to you if you've grown up in the church. But let's go ahead and read through this again, and then I'm going to explain to you what each of these are saying. Matthew 26, verse 20. Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12 disciples. As they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. And he answered, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Verse 26, it says that, Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table. Why was he doing that? The last item recited in the Passover Seder, what's known as the the rules, the system for conducting Passover in a Jewish household, is this. This question is asked by the youngest child in the room. This is the question that they would ask. On all other nights, we eat our meals either sitting or standing. Why on this night do we all recline? Jesus is reclining at the table. In ancient cultural system, the one who stood to eat, the one who sat on a chair to eat, was a slave of the empire. The one who reclined was freed from the slavery of tyranny. So everyone on Passover night would lay down on the floor to eat because it represented people who were at leisure, who were not slaves, not living in bondage anymore. And now Jesus says in the midst of this that the one who dips his hand into the bowl with me, 
while I'm reclining at this table, I'm going to be betrayed, and the one who's dipping with me into the bowl, we're not talking chips and salsa, but it's kind of like that. They've got this matzo bread. This one who's dipping with me, he's the one that's going to betray me. This matzah is is very, very interesting, but first we're going to address exactly what this was they were dipping into. If any of you have been to a Passover Seder or or have friends who are of the Jewish customs, you might know that this this dish, that's kind of like salsa, but get that out of your mind because it's really, really thick, and it's made with a variety of herbs and spices. Today they make it with horseradish. It's nasty. It is just bitter to the taste, and it's putrid gray in color, and it's got chunks of fruit in it. And the purpose in it, it was to remind them of the mortar that they made when they were slaves in Egypt. It was to remind them of the bitterness that they saw every single day. Time to make the bricks every day, making bricks, putting the mortar together, And this was to remind them of what they came from when they were slaves. Reclining at the table, slaves no more. Dipping into matzah, oh, bitterness. It reminds them. The marrer that they made it from was bitter to the touch and to the taste. It'll clean your sinuses out, though, I'll tell you that. And then in verse 24, he says this, The Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is to be betrayed. The literal interpretation of that is, the Son of Man will die. Jesus is speaking of Old Testament prophecy about himself. So so those who say, and I will tell you that in the Jehovah's Witnesses and in the Mormon tradition, they say that Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. This is one of the many verses in which he's saying emphatically, I am the Son of God. The Son of Man will die, me. He's claiming that. It's not cloaked, it's not veiled. He's saying, I will die, but woe to that guy who's turning me over. It'd be better if he'd never been born. And then at this moment, what we see happening in this passage is Jesus breaks tradition. Everything had been in lockstep with Passover up to this point. They're doing the little gray dish with a goo in it. They're doing the matzo crackers. And then Jesus begins to break tradition. And he picks up with verse 26. While they were eating, in the midst of the Passover eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Understand, this is a representation of, of Jesus. Transubstantiation is in the midst of the Catholic Church, and they believe that when you take the bread, when you take the cup, you're literally taking the blood of Jesus. You're literally eating the flesh of Jesus. I disagree with that, and it's unbiblical. But that's in that tradition, and here's why I disagree with it. Because in that tradition, it's teaching that Jesus is being sacrificed over and over and over again. Once is enough. Jesus only needed to die once to cover the sins of the world. And that's called transubstantiation. But in the midst of this, Jesus says, 
while they were eating, he took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. Now, this is very critical that we understand where this came from. Jesus now, you see several times in Scripture, he gives a blessing over the meal. Remember when he fed the 4,000 with fish and loaves of bread, and then he fed the 5,000? And each time, what did he do? The barakaka. He took the bread and held it in his hands as one piece, and he said, Blessed are you, king of the universe, who brings forth bread from the land. That's a traditional Jewish prayer. That's all they do when they pray before a meal. Very simple, just recognizing who God is. Not praying for the sins of the world, not praying for the sickness of the people around the table, not praying for his financial situation, just saying, God, you gave this to us. Bless it. Thank you for it. That's what you see happening here, the barakakah. Jesus said this blessing. And just before he steps into the eating and the passing out of the bread, he claims this unique name, a name that you don't hear very often. Here's how the prayer actually goes. Baruch atah Adonai Elenehu. Adonai. Adonai. Adonai? That's the name that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. As a matter of fact, this is the way it reads. If you look at Exodus 3.14, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Who should we call you? Adonai. I am the provider. I am the sustainer of all that there is. Everything that you have comes from me. So Baruch, Atah, Adonai, bless this food. Now he's got the disciples' attention. Everything's stepping forward, and they're not quite understanding this because, remember, this is the first communion. Never happened before. Now here's something very interesting that you need to know before you participate in the bread. In a Passover, in a traditional Passover meal, there's three matzah loaves that's to be spread among the people. They look similar to this, except this is a production piece. They were much rougher. They weren't clean and square. But they were made like this. Now, a matzah loaf is made of unleavened bread. And here's what's very critical about it from our standpoint as Christians. In the Old Testament, dating back hundreds of years before Jesus, these were always made the same way. Wheat with no leavening in it, so it stayed very, very thin. It was always pierced with holes in it. If I had a light behind it, you could see it. And it always had stripes from the way it laid in the oven when it was being baked. And so when we read in Scripture, He was pierced for our transgressions. By His stripes we are healed. When Jesus took the second cracker, the one representing the body and handed it to his disciples and broke it. It had huge symbolism to them. By his stripes we are healed. His broken body, by that way, by he's pierced for our transgressions. It wasn't too long after the crucifixion when they got it, the next time they had a communion service. And they're looking at this loaf that was shared among them, the second loaf. Now, in a Passover Seder, here's what's done. After it's broken, one cracker 
is used and distributed among the people that are at the meal. The other one is taken and wrapped in a pure white linen, and it's hidden away for later in the service. Today, we understand the symbolism of Jesus being wrapped in the pure white linen and being put away in the tomb. God's instituting the symbolism long before the first communion ever took place. Now, in verse 27, And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is where the word Eucharist comes from. I know this may be feeling a little bit more academic than a typical sermon, but it's really good stuff to understand when you participate in this, what you're participating in. Eucharisto is the word and where it comes from. Look at the definition of it. To be grateful, to express gratitude, especially to say a grace before a meal. So each time you pray when you sit down at a meal, you're participating in a Eucharisto, a Eucharist. That's where the word comes from in the Catholic Church, to participate in the Eucharist, is to be participating in something that you're thankful for. Understand that. Okay. Now, he makes another major step. He starts distributing this wine, this third cup. There were four or five cups in the Passover Seder. Third cup is what we believe that Jesus passes out at this point, and it's called the cup of blessing. So he says, here's what I want you to do. Take this cup and spread it around among yourselves. Verse 28, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. If you were here six weeks ago when I taught on the Abrahamic covenant and the relationship that God had with him, when he made Abraham actually go into sleep mode and he passed before him with the power of the torch, the covenant that was made with Abraham as the father of Israel, Jesus is using the same language here, covenant. Now, if breaking with tradition didn't shock them, by the time he got to this point, this is like a step away from the table. Covenant? New covenant? Here's why. This is a promise that had been made hundreds of years before. And this is what God promised. There's a day coming when I'm going to make a new covenant with you. Look at it on the screen. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, Although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Listen to this closely. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their hearts I will write it. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wow. Why is that big? Because up until now, God's communication had been on tablets of stone. Words from God, the commandments on stone. And now, he's going to write it on our heart? And this guy who can do all these miracles? 
This one whom we believe to be the Son of God is saying, this is the time. This is when it's going to happen. I'm going to do this, and you're going to know me from your heart. When you come into fellowship with Jesus Christ, that moment at which you feel the conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit upon you, God's putting his laws on our heart. You will be my people. I will be your God. This really sets them back. Verse 29, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. If you have your Bibles this morning, I think one of the most powerful promises that you can underline is three little words in the middle of the paragraph, until that day. We forget. Until that day. Until that day. What day? He's coming back. Until that day. How many times do you have to remind yourself of that? It's not just walking up here and picking up juice and crackers. This is to remind us, until that day, there's a day coming. Until that day. Drive it home. Understand this. This is big for all of us. This is our Passover Seder. Jews all over the world retell the story of what God did for them in the Exodus, how he delivered them from Egypt. Likewise, members of the church, you're to proclaim what Jesus did in the death on the cross and his returning until that day. What we're doing is looking back at our Exodus. They're looking back at their Exodus from Egypt in the hand of Pharaoh. The church, universal, the church of Jesus Christ, is looking back at that's the moment when God took us by the hand and led us out of captivity, led us out of the slavery of sin. It's very powerful imagery. Both of them look back, and both pictures look forward in time. Now, here's one more step in the Passover Seder. This one took place earlier in the day before the Passover meal was celebrated. And that was when the family together slaughtered the lamb. You know that in Jewish tradition, that lamb that they used for the Passover meal, spotless lamb, had to actually move in the house with the family for three days prior to the slaughtering. The purpose in that was so that the family would become attached. This is a very powerful image as well. This is not just some farm livestock animal. This is a little lamb that we heard during the day. Now the lamb's hungry. Will you go clean it up? The lamb's thirsty. Go give it some water. And the family had this animal three days in the house. And the attachment took place. And then God's saying, I'm asking a big thing of you. This is not just a livestock animal. This precious, spotless lamb is the one that you're going to kill and you're going to take the blood and smear it over the door. Representation, again, symbology. When you read in John one twenty nine this verse, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
You see John the Baptist using temple imagery, Passover imagery. He's saying the Passover lamb, the Passover lamb who takes away the sin. It's woven all the way through Scripture so that we have the symbolism in our mind. Whenever Jews want to remember God, they remember him as God the Savior, as God the Redeemer, as God the Deliverer. He's always remembered as the God who delivered them out of bondage. It's their point of contact with the saving God. What is your point of contact? What is your point of contact with the saving God? But on that particular night, before Jesus was crucified, before he became the perfect Passover lamb, he said, I'm about to become your point of contact. And here's how you're going to remember this for all time. Every time you gather together, do this in the redemption, do this in the memory, do this in the perfection, understanding completely that I redeemed you. You can't miss it. It's a very, very clear picture. Now, we don't have to go back to Egypt to see our deliverance. We go back to Calvary. Now, in light of all that, here's what I want you to do. Look with me at Luke 22, verse 14. It's going to be up on the screen. With all that knowledge in your mind, let's read through that passage again before we participate in the communion service. Luke 22, 14. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Other translations say broken. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Now this, what we're about to participate in, became the central celebration for the church. So much so, they celebrated this to such great extent so that they started gathering together on a weekly basis and having a big party, what they called the agape feast. And in the midst of the agape feast, people from all over the area who went to a particular church would bring all their food and they would sit down together in a common room and eat together a early potluck, okay? The agape feast, that's where it comes from. And then after they completed the agape feast, then they would participate in the Lord's table. So it became a celebration of the Lord's Supper is what it's called. That's where that name comes from. But what happened, unfortunately, is many of them began coming together, especially at the church in Corinth, and turning it into a party season in which some who could afford were bringing bottles of wine and drinking it all before the communion supper, and they were getting toasted. And Paul got after them because they were being so egregious against the things of God. 
that he warned him and said, you're trouncing all over this thing that Jesus told us to use to remember him. So each time that we get together on a monthly basis, when I share 1 Corinthians 11 with you, it's to help you to understand Paul's writing from the perspective of a church who does this right takes time to examine themselves, takes time to think through what has God done in your life? What is your point of contact with God? When did Jesus become real to you? And what is he doing in your life right now? Or is your life so clouded with sin that you've forgotten what he did for you? We get a warning when we treat the things of God really lightly. It comes from Hebrews. Hebrews 10.29. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? Let me read to you, as you prepare your hearts, this passage again from 1 Corinthians 11. Because in this, Paul is saying, you guys know what Passover is all about. You know what the Lord's Supper is all about. Just like each of you in this room this morning, you understand the symbolism behind it. Don't treat it lightly. Take it seriously. Do not trample under the things of God. So this moment in time right now, when we reserve this period of time before we participate in communion, this is a time for you to say, God, I've got something between you and I. It's this issue of sin. Deal with it. If you're not in relationship with God, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're best just to not partake in it. And before I read this passage, I'd like to explain to you how we do this here at New Hope, especially if this is your first time. Um, When you are ready, uh, John Palmer will be at a table and Jerry Smith will be at a table. And as you come up to a table and pick up the bread and the juice, take it back to your seat and as you're doing that, they will say to you, this is his body broken for you. This is his blood shed for you. Take it back to your seat and just hold it and then I will talk you through the rest of it. But let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 11. Paul says this first, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Do what I do. And this is what he gave them in verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until when? Until he comes, until that day. And here's his warning. Examine yourself. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. That's your command. I'm just going to sit here and pray for you, and you take your time, and when you're comfortable, when you're ready to get up, 
Come on up to the table and the guys will be up there.